There is no reforming the schools. The options are survival or escape. But this realization actually marks the beginning of a new and fulfilling educational journey. For both students and parents. Welcome to the School Sucks Project. Our mission is to provide clarity, support, and empowerment to parents who are concerned and frustrated with the content and culture of the public schools. We achieve this mission through the creation of educational and entertaining media and the development of supportive communities. Continuously building a more detailed picture of what genuine self-directed education can look like. We are determined to pursue this mission because we understand the dangers of indoctrination, toxic school culture, and short-sighted education policies. And we deeply value intrinsically motivated learning, autonomy, and choice in education. And please remember the three important facts we first tried to share when we started in 2009. The schools will not improve. Higher education will not improve. The political conversation about these institutions will not improve. Only we can improve. So let's begin. The CDC is investigating a confirmed case of a rare and sometimes deadly disease called monkeypox. The case, confirmed in Massachusetts, comes amid a cluster of reported cases in Europe and Canada. So just how serious is this virus? Okay. <sighs> okay, monkeypox. I don't think we're going there. Well, I certainly acknowledge the media's amazing ability to stir up panic. Panic is mainstream media's second biggest product after hatred for one another. But I'm going to err on the side of faith in humanity, and I don't think uh, we're going to spin out of control on monkeypox. Even many of the people who've proven to be the most hysterical over the last couple of years are downplaying the, the risk with monkeypox. But monkeypox is a pox, and every time there is a pox, it is a reminder about public health. You might remember public health from 2020 and 2021. And every flash in the pan pox from now on will just be a reminder of how we need to stay vigilant. From that same CNN report that I started the show with, this is just three minutes later. Check out this smooth transition. It becomes kind of yellowish. It, hmm. If you touch it, it feels rubbery. And certainly that distinctive rash, along with those other symptoms, please quickly yeah. get medical attention. Um, yeah, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Just thinking about that, you did say it's less contagious than a virus like COVID. I do want to ask a quick question on that right now because new cases have tripled here in the U.S. in just the last month. And we have these new Omicron subvariants, which appear to be more contagious. And so for people who are vaccinated and boosted, we know some of them are getting this again. What should they do? Well, for sure, we're talking about COVID now. Cases, mostly mild cases, not so much hospitalized cases, are spreading rapidly in the United States. If you're older, if you have underlying illness, if you're immune compromised, be cautious. Go back to wearing that mask through when you're going indoors to group activities. Do a little more social distancing, particularly if you're in one of those high-risk groups. And of course, if you haven't been vaccinated or you're incompletely vaccinated, please get up to date with your vaccination. Thank you so much for all that great information. And yeah, thank you for clarifying to make sure everyone knew we were talking about COVID there. Okay. One of the reasons why I added this show to the Essential School Sucks collection is because the conversation you're about to hear includes the voice of somebody who is very close to the schools. So many of us are watching and often, especially if we're parents, tensely wondering what the culture and the climate is like inside these buildings. The views and attitudes expressed on CNN generally not always give you a pretty good idea of the mindset managing the children's day-to-day -day 
These are the responsible people who know how to prioritize safety over the freedom or the prosperity or the dignity of adults and children alike. There is no price that is too high to pay for safety. We've learned that in the last couple of years with all of the fallout from lockdowns and other restrictions. Economic devastation, increased depression, increased anxiety, increased drug use, increased domestic abuse, increased suicide. This didn't start with the pandemic. Since 9-11, we have been living in the century of the safe, where safety is the trump card in every policy argument, schools or otherwise. School safety is, again, unfortunately, a very big topic as I record this on May 26, 2022. But it is not just safety from violence. It is safety from plagues, pandemics, and poxes, large and small. The idea behind the title of this show, The Schools of the Plague, The Plague of the Schools, is this. COVID mitigation policies change schools for the worse, hence schools of the plague. But even if COVID ever goes away, those policy changes stay in place to change children for the worse. Like COVID, children now live with those policies. And obviously, as I hope you've been learning through this first section of The Essential School Sucks, schools have been a plague on society for a long period of time. COVID was just uh, hitting the gas, basically, in the direction that schools have been traveling since their beginning. Obviously, in 2020, and continuing really right up to the present moment, the school environment has been made much worse, much more restrictive through the justification of a public health crisis. How will these draconian safety measures from the past pandemic, or maybe even a future pandemic, affect school children, short, medium, and long-term? Most importantly, these safety measures in schools, and this is always the case, provide new vectors for punishment and surveillance that will, if history has taught us anything, certainly remain in place beyond whatever health emergency they arrive to address. Maybe the masks have come off for now, but masks are just the most visible, the most tangible. We see them used mostly by adults, including the adults who manage these schools as a prop in a performance. And even if that prop is taken away, that doesn't mean the new script that children are following in the schools is being uh, revised at all. We all know that things like COVID are a dream come true for authoritarians. So today I'm going to be sharing with you a conversation that I had last year with a man who we will call Jay. He remains anonymous and his moniker online is The Honest Teacher. At the time we spoke, we were definitely in a period of adjustment. This was February 2021. It seems like almost all of these shows are in February. I don't know why that is. But Jay and I talked in February 2021. He is no longer teaching in the public schools. He is working in the capacity of tutor with a lot of public school students. So I wanted him to help us have a look inside at the normalization of this high anxiety for children, precaution, restriction, and surveillance. So let's get started. If you want to learn more about how you can help the School Sucks Project, there are links in the show notes or stay tuned until after the music at the end and I'll tell you a little bit more. But some of that you'll hear in the original monologue to the show. This is The Essential School Sucks number seven, originally released February 15th of last year as podcast number 701, 2021. Now School Sucks for Everyone. 
Thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you for listening and take care. I've said since the very beginning of my project that school makes good on its promise to prepare young people to be good citizens, mm. right? Like don't trust yourself, don't trust each other, seek out authorities. <laughs> so what does citizenship look like in 10 years if schools have become these even more fear-filled and restrictive environments? And I don't know if kids are talking to you about some of the the anxieties or the frustrations of what they're encountering actually being in the building. Oh, yeah. So I would say that there's uh, good and bad news to come with this. So I'll start with the Oh, God, yeah, I would love good news. Too. Yeah, yeah they, want good there's news good and eventually. bad. The bad news okay. is that kids now are in truly a dystopian environment. It's no exaggeration. Yeah. It is absolutely insane. Hey, this is Brett. Welcome back to School Sucks. Today is Monday, February 15th. Happy Valentine's Day. I made you this podcast. And it is the one-year anniversary of my first conversation with Jay. His online persona is The Honest Teacher. He has a Facebook group called The Honest Teacher. I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know all the details, but I'm guessing it's got close to 20,000 people in it. And that page is known for a more sophisticated type of pro-education, anti-institutionalized schooling meme. We're going to talk about that today as well. So Jay and I talked in February of 2020. And you know how these days everybody's like, oh, things are really different than they were a year ago, huh? There's going to be a little bit of that in this show. But Jay is closer to the public schooling system than I am. So I asked him to give a report on how all that was going. One of the things that we're always focusing on here is outreach. Lots of people now are quietly, quietly starting to ask questions they've never asked before. And even quietly or still starting to contemplate what other options might be available for their children. So, you know, I'm trying to inspire outreach, but also give people some ammunition for it. I was also aware that this is a, a subject, an exploration that we have been neglecting since our earlier conversations with people like Corey DeAngelis and Carrie McDonald. And I'll get them back on the show in the near future, too. I encourage you to check out Jay's work. It's all linked in the show notes. Definitely be on the Facebook page if you're on Facebook. Jay also has a Patreon. I support him on Patreon, and I think you should, too. By the way, that reminds me. We've had a great run on Patreon recently, and I really appreciate all the new people who've come in, and uh, we're growing this Locals community as well. So you can join that Locals community. If you just want updates, if you just want to see what's new, you can go to schoolsucksproject.locals.com. It's also a way that you can support us and very easily get access to all the bonus content we've created pretty much since we launched uh, Patreon like Five years ago, I put playlists of all our popular serial bonus shows, including The Discomfort Zone, Picture of the Month Club, In Pursuit of Utopia, and I'm working on a highlight reel of the University Weekly Discussion Groups. Man, those are so good. I love them so much. We did one yesterday. I didn't even record it. I didn't even record it because I was away from my computer, but I was so pleased with the discussion that we had and uh, the new personalities that are mixing in there. Go to SSPUniversity.com. Just spell that university slash ideas into action. Enroll in that with the coupon code MySpace, and I will add you to this university group because that is the future. All right. Again, huge thanks to Jay. It was great to have another conversation with him. He'll be back sooner than later. We won't wait another year, but 
in all three, this is his third time on the show because I split the first one into two parts. His insights and contributions have just been really, really appreciated, and I'm glad he's out there doing what he does. All right, everybody, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been following us since the beginning, you are about to hear a school bell for the 701st time. I'm not trying to save my style, it's better than yours, I'm just on some other shit. I'm all about the beats and the lyrics, so when you hear it, you can feel it. The vibe is energized by the presence of my spirit. No interference, we persevere, the purpose is clear. We're here to leave your ear hurt and severe. You're lurking in fear, cause we take it back like Robin Foxley. Rocking from countryside to spots where hard rocks I often wonder if these MCs even know how it feels to dedicate their whole life to this mic of steel. It's not about the bill, that's not keeping it real a lot of time. Tight rappers out here ain't got no deal. We appeal to the brothers with flow finesse. Cause it's the hundred watt bloodshot game of death. Cause we're protected by the covenants of words and beats. Rewind and feel the heat recline and take a So I was saying before we get started, I'm a little out of sorts. I just kind of scrambled into a hotel about an hour before we started. I'm in, I don't even know what town I'm in. How about that? Lewisburg, West Virginia. You know, preparing for this conversation, and it's been almost a year. Like, it's a week short of a year since the last time we talked. And you, like, recently before our first conversation, you had just left working in the public school environment. You had gone on to private tutoring. And then within, like, I don't know, three weeks of me releasing that conversation, man, a lot changed. I have a feeling I'm going to be doing like a lot of these where were we a year ago interviews uh, over the next month or so. I actually have a couple other ones planned. Let's start with uh, just updating the Honest Teacher uh, Enterprise. What have you been? I see you've done some great interviews uh, over the past year. You had Carrie McDonald on your show. You had Corey DeAngelis. Those are two of my favorites. Uh, But what else is new with you, Jay? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in terms of interviews and stuff like that and, and whatnot, that, that was mainly it. You know, I just did a couple of them here and there uh, with uh, Carrie and Corey, and I enjoyed doing it, but I think I definitely spend a lot more time <laughs> making memes. <laughs> so that's yeah, a lot yeah. of what I do, obviously, at, at this point is is just putting out there, you know, thoughts about the schooling system, the schooling paradigm, and getting conversations going seems to be a bit more effective, especially as I'm sure you've seen or at least have heard, uh, you know, all the different censorship that's going out there. I think videos are tend to get a bit more throttled still than memes. So I found that investing my time in doing that kind of content with more memeing and stuff like that seems to at least get more circulation, fortunately. And then there's the question, what do we do with that circulation, right? So I want to hear about your philosophy of memeing. And I certainly have lots of respect for people who rely on memes. I put this question to another guest, uh, actually Isaac Morehouse from uh, Praxis Mm. and Crash, maybe like six months ago. And I said, are memes kind of like a form of newspeak from 1984 in that it's closing the conversation in too much? Like you have to oversimplify but is that what is necessary today to like actually convey what could be or what could be expanded into a, a meaningful message? Sure. I mean, for me, I, I've always have found memes to just be a great starting point. It's a way to get people's attention uh, where you know they may not necessarily have time to open a book or that might be too daunting with other things they have going on. But if they're just scrolling and they happen to see an image or something catchy, you know, some words or a sentence that's catchy, people will engage with that and they'll at least you know, even if they don't read it right away, they might share it to go back to later. And I've found over the years, and I've, you know, I've used this in many, of course, other fields that I 
do work in and, and, and work for promoting a freer future, I, I definitely have used memes to educate people and inspire and start discourse. And I would say that in a lot of the memes I do make, I would say there, there's probably a bit more wordiness to them in some yeah. of them. Sure. Yeah, you take it a step. You do take it a step beyond because you post a lot in the School Sucks group. And can you just bring my audience up to speed? Like, if you go back a year, sure, you were moving away from working in and around public schooling, and you had moved into private tutoring. So, can you just talk about where you were then and how everything changed for you um, about you know, less than a month after we talked in March? Absolutely. Yeah. I in terms of uh, tutoring things like that, yeah, I'd left uh, the compulsory schooling paradigm uh, teaching and, and you know, various different subjects for both uh, middle school and high school in the past. And I had already created my tutoring company back then and still done tutoring while teaching. But then I switched to just doing private tutoring, uh, among other things that I do. And since that time, you know, with all the shutdowns and craziness, uh, you know, it, you kind of wonder like, oh, is it going to be different or bad? Or how has that affect everything? I'd say by and large, I ended up having more uh, I guess you could say uh, tutoring hours because uh, with everything being shut down at the, at the beginning, uh, there was lots of need for help for students just trying to figure out what to do uh, with all of the technology they were using. Um, and that was quite interesting because for many schools around the country, they went off like ad hoc, like they just winged it. Um, especially in the early shutdowns because they, you know, didn't really have the infrastructure. So just like, okay, well, we're going to shut down and then, We'll try to, you know, use Microsoft Teams and, and other things like Canvas and stuff to get students to do online classes. And in the beginning, uh, I would say it was more disorganized because all the different teachers are trying to figure out what they're going to do about it and, you know, where they're going to post assignments and homework. And it's very frustrating for a lot of kids, for sure, yeah. um, just because, yeah. you know, in the beginning, everything's, you know, in all different places and you're just trying to hunt down what the heck they're doing. And a lot of teachers, you know, don't know the technology well. Um, and then... Once things went to summer, uh, then many schools started to kind of figure out a more solid plan of what they were going to do in terms of, you know, how they're going to provide instruction online. And then it was a bit more organized, but I would say from an ethical standpoint to a lot of kids detriment, because before they were much more relaxed on, on kids in terms of turning and stuff. Yeah. I've heard the same stories. I talked to my niece uh, a lot about this and she, she definitely described what happened at the end of the 2019 2020 school year mm. so going into the summer as being really disorganized but you know the silver lining that i saw at the time was that kids are getting a whole bunch of their lives and you know their their personal time back and people were telling me other people that i talked to who are in school were saying this yeah it's like a 3 hour a day commitment and i was like this is great news but you know like we've seen with work from home it's kind of like now these two environments that were really distinct even though Gosh, you know, for a long time, school had tried and has in many ways mm -hmm. invaded the home through, you know, excess amounts of homework and converting parents into policemen for the school. But now the line is like completely blurred between what is what is school time and what is free time as much as that exists. Right. And it's definitely, as you noted at the beginning, there was a bit more benefit than detriment because with all the disorganization, teachers figuring out stuff, there was way more forgiveness. Eventually, teachers were like, oh, okay, turn things in at the end of the day so, you know, kids could actually sleep in and kind of, you know, not have to show up for everything and not have to show up for every period, but like watch videos later. So it, it made it a lot better. And I think that was a good thing because it did 
awaken uh, for many parents uh, the idea of, oh, you know, they're wasting their time with all this other stuff. There's, you know, there's a better way to do this that doesn't, you know, soak up much of their day. So it definitely, I think, encouraged a lot of parents to investigate homeschooling, unschooling, things like that, which was great. Um, but then come the next, uh, you could say school year, then they got more serious and instead of it being like oh we'll put a video up and you can watch it at your convenience they start to say you know you need to check in every period and you, you know need to show you're there if you're doing the specialized remote learning and that became a real nuisance because then it's like you know you have to sit there for every single class even if it's like the dumbest you know stuff going on or it's meaningless to you you know then you still have to like keep your you know camera on or whatever depending on the class and and that got a bit more annoying uh, I would say for, for students to have to then be digitally monitored on top of everything. Um, so that, from what I saw, it, it did incentivize some students to go back into school. Although I did see uh, from my experience, a lot of students not wanting to do it in, um, in the sense that uh, they got used to the home life and being able to relax their computer. Okay. So I've talked to teachers too. Mm -hmm. And uh, one teacher friend of mine is like, yeah, the kids won't turn their, their cameras on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm wondering, like, just from your experience interacting with students, uh, do you know of like what kind of consequences they try to impose for people who have just become more and more disengaged? Um, well, I, I've seen just mostly like at this point, marking them absent, possibly. That's one thing, you know, if you don't have it, then they'll say, oh, you are absent. I have seen uh, one interesting uh, specific situation that was relayed to me was where it was a young girl who uh, she was having some type of issue with her computer itself. And then the teacher was berating her, but the teacher didn't know that the girl's mom was right there. So the teacher thought like, you know, she was being slick and, you know, yelling at her, even though it was a genuine computer, she wasn't her fault. And the mom like saw that. And it was like a, you know, a, a pill moment for her. Like, Oh my gosh, like this is how they treat my kids when, I'm not looking. Um, yeah. I would say that was, that's been a very big thing. I would say for any parent that's at least semi-engaged, just, you know, checking out what's going on. A lot of them are starting to see, you know, how things are being run through the school day, what the curriculum is and how their kids are being treated. And I would say more often than not, they're, they're getting a bit disheartened. So, Oh yeah. Disheartened is a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's lots of words. So the kind of work that you're doing, right. It involves students and parents and maybe some, like liaison work with actual schools and teachers, mm -hmm. correct? Definitely. So when I was doing this, and I, I mean, I was doing this in a totally different world, you mm -hmm. know, like 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I started maybe. Back then, I had parents who needed almost emotional support about, and this, you know, if their kids had special ed mm -hmm. or things they were actually dealing with in the school environment or frustrating um you know, experiences not being able to get through to teachers, things like that. Mm. Now that they're seeing these things, right? So this, again, is a possible silver lining as these things come into the home. And we haven't even gotten to the part uh, where these kids are going back into these buildings right. in entirely more watchful and restrictive environments. But just as far as like parents seeing this stuff come into the home, have you had any interactions with parents like the one you just described? Mm -hmm. Uh, is that becoming a more common theme, like a kind of wake up to what's actually going on there? Because what I think has been nice, mm -hmm. uh, especially for people who have to shell out, you know, so much in property tax to pay for this system, they want to tell themselves a story about, you know, when my kid goes off there, they're learning and they're you know, playing volleyball and having friends and right. whatever. But that story is getting harder and harder to tell. And I don't know if you see that becoming a pattern through the work you do. Yeah, I would say um, uh, definitely from stories I've heard from others, I haven't... Uh... I guess you could say had too much personal experience with that. You could say like in terms of like the parents, like 
shifting greatly. I mean, some of the parents would obviously based on what, you know, we would talk about would see, Oh, okay. They're really disorganized or, okay, this is not comfortable. Um, but I would say from other stories that people have relayed to me and, and their kids and their different respective schools, I have seen that uh, situation come up with parents really starting to see firsthand just how torturous the school day is. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, the, the problem there for some parents is they're just so happy to have a babysitter uh, that, you know, that always outweighs it, unfortunately, in, in some cases. So what do you know about what's actually happening in the schools for the kids who come back? And I understand they're doing all these like rotating schedules. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's there all at once. But I've said since the very beginning of my project that school makes good on its promise to prepare young people to be good citizens. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, don't trust yourself. Don't trust each other. Seek out authorities. <laughs> so one of the things that's really kind of distressing is that what does citizenship look like in 10 years if schools have become these even more like fear-filled and restrictive environments? And I don't know if kids are talking to you about some of the the anxieties or the frustrations of what they're encountering actually being in the building. Oh, yeah. So definitely, I would say that there's uh, good and bad news to come with this. So I'll start with that. Oh, I, yeah, I would love good news, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want good there's news good and eventually. bad. The bad okay. news is that the kids now are are in truly a dystopian environment it's no exaggeration yeah. it is absolutely insane and it's absolutely insane because what they're doing is completely socially isolating kids through masking and spacing um having lunches where you know the kids are so far apart and broken up that they can't even talk to meaningfully anybody and it's making you know, lots of these kids just feel so miserable. You know, they, they are just absolutely dreading the school day uh, because of how restrictive it is. And what makes it extra painful and anxiety building is that in many of these schools, the teachers themselves are fearful. Uh, a lot of teachers, way, uh, way more than the kids, of course, a lots of teachers are super fearful about this and they're very punitive when it comes to the mask wearing. And what this means is that now kids are feeling anxiety about their mask coming off because if it slips down to this, so that they get in trouble, they can get sent to the principal's office, they can, you know, get detentions even. So what's happening is now kids are worried about whether or not like they have to itch their nose or whether their, you know, face mask slips down. And like, for example, uh, one student I work with said that um, there's even a, a kid who's next to him who's using the mask that the school gave him because the, the school like gave out five masks at the beginning of the year for students to reuse, but it, it doesn't fit. Like, so it always falls down. So he's like constantly having to pull it back up. So it, yeah. it's one of these things where it's the kids are under an enormous amount of pressure because they're, they're literally, I mean, it, I mean, if you think about it, it's like balancing an egg on your head kind of thing and being worried constantly, you know, if it's going to tip, it's that level of anxiety for some of these kids, because they're worried about being yelled at if they, you know, take their mask to have a sip of water or, or whatever, or it just slips or they have an itch or, you know, or if they yawn and like my, my one student who does have a good fitting mask, you know, he, if you yawn, okay, it comes down off your nose and they get yelled at. So they have now a, like before, you know, there's the idea if you're just distracted, this that, you know, you might get yelled at or something, but now it's like, you have a physical thing on you. That is a point of observation for punishment constantly lingering on you. So it's, it's really crazy. And one student told me that he'll even go to the bathroom just so that he can breathe for three minutes without his mask on. And it it really is torturous. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of parents don't get it, don't get that and how just torturous it is for kids to have that anxiety about being worried about getting in trouble 
for something that, you know, can readily just come off either on its own or just, of course, just by living, you know, by yawning or whatever, you have a scratch, something like that. So it's really rough for these kids um, in school where they have to abide by all these extremely alienating and terrible, you know, distancing and masking rules. And the, uh, the good news out of that is that uh, I would say, uh, by and large, most of the young people, um, from what I've seen and what they tell me, say that the kids think it's stupid. So that's good. Like, there's your first, you know, kind of like, you know, silver lining is that a lot of these kids are observant and and see like, wow, this is really dumb. Like, you know, what I mean, we're in here together all day, and you know, what I mean, you're not going to be able to do this forever. And kids are always like touching their masks and touching their stuff. They they know it's stupid. They know that you know you you can't put off the inevitable. And they look at their teachers, like for example, this one music teacher. She's like uh, behind plexiglass, and then like she says that like basically kids can't come like close than ten feet to her, and she stays all the way to the back of the classroom. And all the kids are super far away. Like that kind of level of like almost OCD level behavior. Like the kids just look at it and they're just like, wow, these people are dumb. Uh, you know, be like, what do you, you know, what are you doing teaching here if you're that scared kind of thing? Um, so the, the, the good news is that I would say, fortunately, by and large, a lot of young people do recognize the absurdity of it all in the first place and do resent how they're treated because of the masking rules. So sure. It was obvious that all of these things would, you know, become another vector for punishment. Right. Where, you know, we all remember being in school and like, why is this rule that we can't do this on the playground? And because one time somebody fell off the playground, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of like not super impactful. But now I'm sure when you talk about this kind of panic that the teachers are passing on to kids like that, yeah. it's like because somebody could die. Mm-hmm. And that seems so. So that is uh, encouraging that kids are pushing back a little bit because that seems so final, a kind of justification for uh, the restrictions and the increased punishments that they're also experiencing, that they're they're not, from what you're saying anyway, it doesn't seem like they're being completely broken. Because I feel like we could, you know, we could get accused of being like hyperbolic for mm-hmm. saying this is a form of torture. But uh, it is like a sustained form of physical discomfort, which does not do well for like uh, the the emotional state of developing minds. And I also wonder if any kids have confided in you about uh, that impact, because it goes beyond masks, right? It's there, there's so many more aspects to this in the school environment. Sure. No, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't shy away from using the word torture. I do think it's torturous, um, especially considering that for many of these kids, they're having to wear this the same mask all day, and it gets really disgusting and sweaty. Um, you know, obviously, collecting humidity from breathing out into it, and then you put it on your chin when you when you're eating lunch, or it goes in the bathroom. I mean, it, it is absolutely gross, and I'm I'm very certain that there will be you know bacterial pneumonias that come from that over time, and this or that just because you know they touch something, and then of course get an itch in the mask, and then you know one thing leads to another. Um, and I would say the most torturous part, of course, even beyond that, is just the the ever present anxiety of being worried if you're going to get punished because it comes off, and it's not even you know an intentional uh, act of it coming off. But the teachers, of course, will treat it with that level of fear um, and that level of severity in in many cases uh, for what I hear, you know, more often than not, you know, more teachers are anxious about it because, I mean, as you know, most of the teachers are authoritarians who themselves rely on authoritarianism, you know, for how they think. And are under the thumb of it too. Right. That was a huge part of being a teacher. I just talked about this on a recent show uh, with this young woman, Casey, who works at um, a self-directed learning center down in in Texas. Mm -hmm. Casey Youngins is her name. I don't know if you've cross paths with her yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we were both sharing experiences about 
teaching and it's like, okay, let's make sure, and this is early in our careers or when starting a new job, let's make sure we're doing all the right things for everybody except the students and ourselves. Mm. Right. So who does that leave? The the people above us. So I'm sure the kind of bureaucratic pressure that's coming down on these people as well, while they're already like totally acclimated to an environment where that kind of treatment of young people is just totally acceptable, mm -hmm. right? Because it existed in all these areas before this happened. Right. So it's natural that they would, in many ways, unthinkingly just extend all that into this. Well, yeah, ab absolutely. And I've seen this personally and in watching other videos from different school districts outside my state where they, you know, they have their protocols for what they do in, in terms of, you know, they're staying safe, you could say, uh, or staying insane more like it, uh, you know, it, it's very regimented authoritarian and um, extraordinarily painful because of how exacting it is and how much stress you feel uh, just being both uncomfortable and worried that um, expressing your discomfort or trying to accommodate your discomfort is going to lead to being punished. Um, so it, it's, yeah. it's terrible. But I would say, again, the kids definitely are resenting it uh, from what I've seen and what I've heard. Okay, so I don't want to talk about uh, teachers in a completely monolithic way either, mm -hmm. because I'm sure there are teachers who, considering all of these things that they've had to do since last March, there's got to be a group of teachers. I mean, I know there is, because I've talked to some of these people who are like, you know, at this point, I've had enough. And I don't know if you've mm -hmm. encountered anyone like that or had any of those conversations. Um, no, I, I have not uh, seen of or heard of any uh, teachers who have necessarily had enough in, in that in, in the way that you're speaking. I would say, by and large, most of the people who I've uh, seen or interacted with who themselves are teachers have, uh, you know, bought hook, line and sinker into it. Uh, who, again, if they're actively uh, teaching in a compulsory schooling environment. Um, and even sadly, I think this is also horrible, but uh, I've seen that happen for many unschooling centers or self-directed learning co-ops uh, where they have uh, enforced some of those rules in, in very bizarre ways. So, How have you found, just from your attentiveness to all this, that this has opened up uh, the conversation to alternatives, whether we're talking about students or parents, I guess in some cases teachers, even though they'd probably be like last on the list. Mm -hmm. Unless they are parents and they're dealing with this with their own kids. Uh, I think so. I, I think I've seen some people uh, start to recognize. I'm not saying this is a, a deep change, but I have seen people start to be like, oh, wow, you know, this really is inconsiderate of young people. Um, and, you know, just how and just kind of how ridiculous it is. And it, I have seen some people start to, like, question things going forward on that. Uh, you know, just the idea that they see the blanket mass policy. They see how ridiculous it is to think that you know little kids are gonna you know maintain hygiene throughout seven or eight hours straight uh, sure. not likely happening <laughs> you know what i mean and then what you're just going to put them in little circles and you know separate them so some parents have have seen that this you know doesn't really make much sense you know and i have seen some parents reach out and say okay my like i you know from from their vantage they have uh, awakened to the idea that maybe there's a better way to do things <laughs> Yeah. So. Do you find, though, that they still wind up because this is like a really common theme. And when I try to do research on like the impact on students of this whole situation, mm -hmm. whether it's K through 12 or it's college, 
everything is framed in terms of the virus did this and the virus. The same thing we see in the news, right? right? The virus caused the shutdowns. The virus caused economic downturn. So I would imagine that that's a very easy kind of framing to take place in the school environment, too. We have to do this. And and Mm -hmm. that kind of steers around people actually questioning policies or restrictions. Yeah, absolutely. That that has been 100% from what I've seen and uh, personal experience, the case that those in the public school system <laughs> obfuscate reality uh, by not labeling the right actors and actions uh, and giving them due credit for who's actually enforcing things. They they kind of anthropomorphize coronavirus and say like, oh, it's corona that's doing this. Like, no, that's there's human beings who are shutting down the economy or saying you do this, we'll you know fine you or arrest you or something. So uh, I, I definitely bring that up with you know some of the young people I see and work with where in the past they may have even framed it that way themselves. And I'm like, oh, is that how they frame it in school? And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's think who's actually doing this, <laughs> you know, then have those yeah. conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a very common trope uh, in schools to uh, basically abstract from both, you know, government and teachers themselves in the school system, the responsible persons and to lay it on some type of idea or ideal instead of actually saying, okay, who is actually taking the actions to do what to what or you know, what to who? So, yeah, absolutely. No, I just ask because like I'd look at a study and it would be like, this is 2000 college students. This one's 30,000, mm-hmm. you know, college undergraduate students. Uh, in the first study, it's like 91 percent uh, experience increasing stress and anxiety, disappointment and sadness. But then the reasons if they're asked to you know, assign a causal relationship to that, it has to do with policy. Mm-hmm. But it's framed as like the virus gave them more stress and anxiety. Yeah. Same with the, the study that was much larger. So that's just like par for the course in the public conversation about this, which is also disappointing. Right. And one, I would say, key thing, too, that has been changing minds, funnily enough, um, and this happened to uh, one of my students is actually getting coronavirus. So <laughs> my uh, one student, he was visiting his uh, dad in California and his family there tested positive. They got sick. Um, you know, nothing crazy for all of them. I mean, you know, one person had a little bit, you know, lacking taste for, you know, a few days, but basically all of them had symptoms that resolved within about three days. And of course, because that happened, couldn't fly, couldn't leave for two weeks. Um, you know, couldn't, you know, get on a plane to get home. So he was out of school, you know, in a nice way uh, for a couple of weeks uh, because of that. And uh, when he came back, you know, he, we, you know, we talked about it and we talked about, you know, reflecting on like the fears of it versus his experience. And he's like, yeah, you know, it wasn't actually that bad. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, and that's actually pretty much the case for most people, unless, you know, you're very elderly or you have some serious underlying condition, but I'm like, by and large, most people are, are fine. Um, and he's like, yeah. And he's like, and you know what? Now it's ridiculous. He's like, why do I have to wear a mask? I already got it, got over it. He's like, what, you know what I mean? He's like, well, why do I, you know, wear a mask now? I'm like, exactly. It's like, why, why are you having to, uh, you know, continue to live in misery if you've already gotten it and gotten over it and should have some, at least immunity to it. Uh, you know, given that obviously his body has already had an immune reaction and he did overcome it. Uh, so, you know, it, it, that experience, I think itself kind of helps, uh, getting it. You know, that is because young people suddenly feel more empathy because now they're like, oh, okay, it's not scary. I'm, you know, not going to die. And they don't want themselves want to be looked at as like evil or bad or, you know what I mean? Or something like dangerous, right? If you had like, oh, you're Corona or something like that, you, you know, they don't want to be looked at as, as weird or odd. So it normalizes it, which is, is 
you know, oddly enough, nice because it gets rid of some of that anxiety, right? They're, you know, no longer living in that fear about it because of the abstractions that they hear from their teachers and in the news that they show, you know, CNN 10, and I'm sure they're scaring them to death on CNN 10. Uh, so you talked a little bit about your work changing and as a private service provider, I remember, like I said earlier in the conversation, you do have to wear many hats, you know, in, in some cases, because there is that close connection or you're working with somebody one-on-one, you do take on more of a therapeutic role. Like people will confide in you about more things than say, if you were a teacher Mm -hmm. and you were one of like 20 people, they were you know, juggling at a time. So that that was always my experience with that. That was like the best work with young people that I ever did right. was in in that setting. So what would you say, you know, over the last almost year now has been the biggest cost and the biggest benefit or a big cost and a big benefit uh, to the kind of work that you do? Well, with government corona stuff, I would say the benefit would be like it, it opens up some interesting conversations to have about the nature of uh, the government and science as relates to viruses and things like that. Overall, I mean, that that definitely was interesting. And uh, business-wise, of course, it actually uh, helped in some ways, just uh, some students needing some more help. Um, of course, I would say the hard part, at least this is my experience, um, might be uh, extrapolable, but I would say fewer people want to do in-person tutoring (laughs) in terms of, you know, new clients or something like that. I think definitely more people were scared of, uh, you know, getting help on an in-person level, but then it changed a bit to, you know, some more people asking for remote help and things like that. Um, But uh, yeah, overall, I'd say nothing has materially changed for me in in that regard, uh, you know, in terms of my lifestyle and in terms of meeting students. And I I didn't have uh, too much, you know, problems or fears as relates to the students I was already seeing, the families at least that I was seeing, you know, weren't irrationally afraid uh, to the point of, you know, being scared if I, you know, came over something like that. So back to the very beginning of that part, mm-hmm. the one of the benefits you said, there was more conversation about the whole nature of the system and, you know, questioning, having the audacity to question the science. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that kids are generally receptive to that kind of inquiry if you lead them in it? Um, for me, I generally yeah, don't have any problems with it just because it's easy for me to frame it in a way that's very conversational because I, you know, yeah. I don't try to frame things to um, load the question or like change the mind. <laughs> I don't have that. a dog in this fight. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot of it is framing it from like, what do they think about it and why? And and asking, you know, probing questions about how they came to believe what they believe. And in that process, of course, you know, that's where like the the answers come out like, hmm, I'm not exactly sure, you know, or I got to look into that kind of, you know, come out in the process. And so, you know, know, obviously with all the shutdown stuff with how teachers are acting and reacting, it definitely opened up a lot of uh, great conversations and including uh, even you know, to go further than the, the virus stuff, the, like the election uh, conversations about uh, what was going on there, uh, you know, and what teachers were doing. Cause you know, I get the usual stories of some teacher saying, Oh yeah, we're not supposed to talk about politics. And then of course they slip in their two cents. So it, it's always fun to have those conversations about what teachers are saying and, you know, what are the common tropes of uh slipped in commentary about politics. So. Yeah, there's kind of this like the the appeal that conspiracy theories have for a lot of people, which is like there's some kind of emotional payoff in putting a puzzle together. So like maybe something piques some of our interest. Like 
I could give examples. I don't want to get you in trouble, even though you're completely anonymous. So I won't name a conspiracy that kind of set me off and running in a certain direction. But it can become a curiosity that spreads into other things. So now, again, back to Silver Linings with these kids, and I'm wondering if there are any like revelatory moments that you've had with them that are particularly memorable, but they've never been given more of a chance to question things, right? Because I, I don't think things have ever been so literally in their face right. as they are right now with this. So it seems like that an even mildly precocious young person is going to be questioning things that they might have just been able to like autopilot or put their head down through in the past. Right. Absolutely. There's been so much disruptive activity going on this past year that it's, it's caused a lot of young people to think about big picture questions and question uh, why the specific actions are being done to them in school and whether or not they're uh, good or make sense. Um, so I, I do think that there will be some very long-term ramifications of how young people were treated going forward, both in good and bad ways. Of course, the bad being, yeah. you know, how they were hurt by it. But I think that there actually will probably be um, a lot of young people who grow up uh, thinking we should not do that again. <laughs> you know, we didn't let that happen again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even before this situation, this was like an observation as a student and an observation as a, a teacher and and working in some really like high stress environments with kids who had a lot of like emotional and behavioral difficulties, mm -hmm. there's punishments for conformity and there's punishments for rebellion. And I think those who rebel, maybe yeah, it depends on to what extent they rebel, but maybe in the long run, they often stand a better chance because they've at least practiced that like pushing back and mm -hmm. thinking for themselves versus just, you know, totally breaking and conforming and, and never questioning anything. Right. So, yeah. I, I think people here will go both ways. Like this will have, you know, in the school makes good citizens idea, it will really, really push some people into like fearful and helpless places. Mm -hmm. But it will do, and maybe that's a minority, but maybe that's okay. It will do the other thing as well. It will push people into you know higher levels of curiosity than what they would have had otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely see that happening, uh, especially across young people who are a bit more intellectually mature. I think maybe in the middle school to high school arena, a bit more so uh, young people recognizing the ridiculousness. You know, obviously elementary, it's a little bit more you know, kind of like, oh, just what is this? It's all new. And they might accept things a little bit more just because the adults said so. But definitely in middle and high school, there's a lot more observation of, oh, okay, this, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And, you know, in terms of practicality and daily uh, activities of, you know, how they're being treated. So I, I do foresee some good things coming out of that. And I think in, in some ways it's unique because, you know, to have that empathetic experience, you know, a lot of the adults today didn't have something like this in the past. They don't have something to relate to, to think, even, oh, this is, is terrible. So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of adults have limited empathy. And of course, as you know, schooling is, is a part of that uh, equation, uh, reducing empathy. And mm -hmm. I think that many adults, you know, just didn't have the capacity, at least right now, to really think about how this is going to impact kids. But I think that many kids going forward are going to be able to think, as they get older, how this will impact future kids. Yeah. And there's a same boat benefit to this that has never really existed before. And we talked about that, like with school coming into the homes mm -hmm. and parents becoming more uh, observational because it's like school's right there. Right. 
there's that, but you know, over the last 11 months, everybody's kind of gone through similar things, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's more of a possibility for parents, you know, as they have experienced their own anxieties and inconveniences around this, like maybe there's more of a point of connection than there was before, right? where, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, these are the things that are being imposed on all of us everywhere. Uh, my message hasn't changed that much. I mean, it, honestly, I feel like I've kind of steered away from, you know, digging deep into like what the, the psychological impact has been because I knew what it was before this. I knew how bad it was, like all the stuff I've said for the last decade, mm -hmm. you know, now it's worse. And that's sad to think about. It's, right. it's really maybe one of the reasons why I've been kind of avoidant with this topic and the signal that we've tried to send out over the last year has been more about, you know, various types of self-defense, but also um, alternatives. And also, well, as more people look for educational alternatives, here's what real education looks like. So that's like, those are the bases that I've tried to cover. Mm -hmm. But as I was preparing for this conversation with you, I was like, boy, I've really steered around like <laughs> digging into a real examination of the new ways that this environment really sucks for young people. Right. And as we work our way out here on maybe a positive note, I know towards the end of last year, you talked to both Carrie McDonald and Corey DeAngelis. Mm -hmm. Was there any memorable optimism that they shared with you about this situation? Yeah, but in both of their research and their work, they were seeing you know the patterns that I had seen as well as that more families were opting out. They were starting to really actually not just you know temporarily, but fully move out of this compulsory schooling paradigm and uh, starting to homeschool. And in many states, they saw, you know, upticks or increases of uh, the number of families, uh, you know, starting to go into homeschooling or unschooling in, you know, I would say two to 10% arena. Um, you know, and that was earlier this year, of course. And I think since that time, um, there's been increases in that as well. Uh, so, you know, that, they were very hopeful about that, that, you know, basically they said that looks like, you know, 5 million kids might be uh, coming out into the homeschool arena, you know, by the end of 2020. So I'm not sure what all materialized or who decided to actually continue or stay, but it was heading in that direction of, of possibly being that big uh, if the trend continued. Yeah. And that's going to be uh, the next battle. And that's a good place to actually have the battle, right? Which means like a battle needs to be had there. Mm -hmm. Like what's the regulatory trap around that as more and more people want to do it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what the, you know, what the charter school or the voucher argument was is like, as, as this becomes a more appealing option uh, to people, mm -hmm. especially people in impoverished areas where the schools are not as finger quotes good as they are in higher income areas, people embracing these alternatives means that yeah, we need more eyes on this. We need more regulation. Mm -hmm. We need the teachers unions involved that these people have to come under that umbrella if they want to work in these places. So I think, yeah, we're going to see as homeschooling, if it expands over the next couple of years to 5 million people in the country, we're going to see more and more of that kind of conversation happen. But I think that that's an encouraging thing that that's now a fight that's actually going to be had on a larger scale. And Corey, uh, that was that was what Corey and I first touched base about was when the the Harvard professor mm -hmm. said that homeschooling should be made illegal. Yeah. And, you know, again, the the positive part of that was like okay, now at least there's a conversation about the threat this is to the the institution. Right. So Things are moving in the right direction, even if there's a fight ahead. So I think that's all encouraging. And that was a great example of someone who had a lot of schooling, but was still very dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, really, I mean, because when you saw her arguments for it, you know, when they had the, the debate lined out, it was 
it was terrible. I mean, she really did not think through anything of what she was writing. She was, she was using basically, you know, not large enough sample sizes, not randomized enough, mostly like almost borderline, like anecdotal stories to back up what she was saying. And then like, you know, Corey's like, here's all the hard data of like, you know, basically the most major studies that have been done in, in all these different areas. You know, if you want to talk about homeschooling and incidents of whatever you want to say, neglect or success or whatever. And I mean, she was just roasted. I mean, it was bad. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. it was like, really? This is what you're passing? Like, I would, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's funny because she wasn't like a professor of education. If I remember correctly, she was a law professor, right? right? And I remember watching that and, and reading the article too. And I was like, boy, this really is just a language of fallacies Yeah, that these people get away with speaking. And, and even worse, like just the ability to take what is, you know, completely unscientific studies. And I'm, I'm saying this in, in the truest sense of the word, that is studies that were done where it wasn't like a broad-based random sample and then use like, you know, a very, you know, bad bias, their selection to try to make your argument. You know what I mean? It, it is something that level that, you know, she was using. It was, a, you know, really terrible reference material, like abysmally bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through that and I wasn't trying to be snotty yeah. when I was watching it. I think I wound up, I, I, Carrie and I wound up doing a follow-up mm-hmm. conversation about it, but I didn't even want to comment too much on, you know, all of the logical problems with it. I think we just did like a, yeah. a postmortem and tried to pull some positivity out of it. Right. So I'm off Facebook, but a lot of my audience is still there. Is that still the best way to get involved with you and follow you? Yeah. I mean, it, all, all I do in terms of involvement or follow is just like, oh, hey, if you like my memes or a video, you can share, share them. But I would say if, if you were like, if you're really passionate about and, and want to talk in a building way, I guess, like not call people names, um, because that usually doesn't help. <laughs> uh, there's always people who are coming to the threads of my photo uh, photos, I should say memes, uh, who are teachers or parents who are, you know, kind of seeking sometimes challenging of course but i I think more so seeking uh what the truth is as relates to like unschooling and homeschooling what's going on with that and i'm really proud of the people there because i mean again i have nothing to do with this they're they're, these are people doing on their own and i'd have to imagine that a good number of them are probably um you know associated with or, or, or products of you know so much knowledge that you've imparted to them through all your different podcasts and great you know people you've interviewed but they really know their stuff in there and you know come in the threads and, and educate them and uh, like sometimes i'll go down to say something I'm like oh wow they actually so elegantly i don't really have to say anything i'm good <laughs> you know so it, it's it's nice to have support from people sometimes because i, I can't devote as much time as i'd like to that page and, and my work to be able to talk to every person. Uh, but it's nice to see other people who are that passionate about unschooling and self-directed education coming in and intelligently uh, informing people who have questions or who have criticisms. So it gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> yeah, that's really great to hear. And is there anywhere else where you'd want people from my audience to be following you or interacting with you? I mean, it, it, they can go to Minds, MeWe. Uh, I have a YouTube that I post to sparingly but you know there's some old videos there um and you know interviews and things like that and i have you know patreon or whatever but i barely you know use that so mm-hmm. it was more just you know for function i was like eh, whatever but uh yeah it, it to me you know the, the facebook is definitely where the most amount of engagement takes place uh but obviously i still will post content here and there to miwi and minds uh, as backups excellent so we got to talk more often. There's so many different uh, subjects we could explore together. So I'm not going to let another year go by. I will touch base with you in the near future. 
and uh, we'll do this again on some one of many topics. Yes. No, thank you, Brett. I'd be honored. And uh, there's so many different things we talk about. Absolutely. So (laughs) we should do like a round table at some point. We should get a group together. I would be 100% down for that. Well, Jay, thank you so much for coming back on the show. And I'll make sure all your stuff is linked in the notes. And we will talk again soon. All right. My pleasure, Brett. for sticking through all the way to the end. If you're enjoying the show that much, if you're getting value out of what you have been listening to and you're getting value out of the curation of this material, please consider becoming a supporter in our unique value for value and then more value model where you become a patron through patreon.com slash school sucks There are three different membership tiers. The entry level is called Friend of School Socks. It's for people who support our mission and the way I deliver this message. At this and the other levels, you get access to a private RSS feed with tons of additional content, including serial bonus shows. The one that we are currently uh, doing most regularly is called The Discomfort Zone. It's a comedy slash personal development show. And we are in our fifth season. I think there is a total of like 50 episodes of The Discomfort Zone. But there are other bonus shows that have run serially in the past. One is called In Pursuit of Utopia, which is a history show that I do with my good friend Danny McCarthy. And there is another one called Picture of the Month Club, which ran just for a limited time. But there's several of those shows. And it is a film appreciation conversation. You can also access University Discussion Groups. That is basically an ongoing bonus presentation, which are highlights from the many, many discussions. We do 12 a month in our private social media and learning community called the University. You can actually get access on a monthly basis by uh, subscribing on Patreon to the top tier, and you can give it a try for a couple months. Meet some like-minded people trying to uh, approach and solve similar problems. At any level, your support is greatly appreciated, but there's lots of ways you can help. Uh, One of the simplest things to do, you can enter Amazon through our portal. I hate Amazon, but if you are going to shop there, like I do sometimes, enter through our portal and we do get a little kickback. And I'm just saying, if everybody did it, I'd be rich. How exciting that would be. It starts with you right now. Bookmark that link, please. It is in the show notes. I do have uh, affiliate partnerships that I am much more proud of. Uh, Chief among them is Praxis. Praxis is a college alternative, a college alternative for ambitious and entrepreneurial young people. Please enter through the link in our show notes so they know you heard about them on School Sucks. If you are the parent of a teen or you are a teen with the prospects of college on the horizon, Please, please, please investigate Praxis before you start doing all the crazy crap that I did 20 years ago. 
25 years ago. Good heavens. But again, enter through the link in the show notes or right at the front page of schoolsucksproject.com. You can also visit schoolsucksproject.com slash AV to see numerous uh, one-time support options. Or if you don't like Patreon, we do have some alternative uh, funding operations. But however you choose to show me that you are grateful for what we do here, I promise you will feel uh, my gratitude in return. So thank you so much. We'll be back in a couple of days with more.